Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Tall Paul and you're listening to the House Culture Podcast. House Culture Hi everyone and welcome to another episode in season two of the House Culture Podcast. I'm your host and managing editor at House Culture, Matt Rouse. I tell you, it feels great to be back on air and hopefully we're helping you out with a little taste of clubland whilst we move through this lockdown period. The reaction to the first two episodes in this series have been incredible. So many of you have listened to our chat with the legend that is Norman Cook and the Ibethan icon and creative director at Pike's Hotel, Dawn Hindle. In those chats, we covered everything from Norman's love of art and DJing through to Dawn's time setting up Manumission, creating Ibiza Rocks and taking over the island institution that is Pike's Hotel. If you haven't listened to those episodes already, they are highly recommended, even if I do say so myself. And don't be afraid to get yourself some dusty digital fingers by digging through our back catalogue of episodes from season one. In there you'll find conversations with folk like Danny Clockwork, Terry Farley, Gordon Mack, John Trencher, and many more. Also, if you've only just discovered this podcast and are wondering what house culture is all about, the elevator pitch is. We are a collective of house music fans who have come together through our mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. We're on Instagram at housecultureNet. So come and join us on that virtual dance floor and we can come together to revel in all the things related to this beautiful scene. Okay, let's get moving on this third episode in this second series, shall we? In this one, we chat to a DJ who some might say is a giant of the dance music scene. Of course, it can only be Tall Paul. 
In this chat, he tells us how him and his family were in the right place at the right time during the birth of modern clubland in London. So, Turnmills came along, the Turnmill building. So we became this all-night licensed legal venue in the heart of London. It was the only one. What kind of equipment you needed in your venue in order to take it to the next level? We had this water-cooled laser. I swear, if this thing exploded, it would have created like a black hole, I think, in the universe. This was 150 grand and shit, you know, this equipment. Just what it was like being an in-demand DJ during the Super Club era. It just went off, you know, Friday I was doing one or two, Saturday I was doing one or two, you know, and it was just nuts. Every town had a club that was doing nights and we were just turning up and they were packed, 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 packed. And what happened that time you met the godfather of house music, Frankie Knuckles? I am in complete awe. I'm ready to get on my bloody knees here, you know. And he was like, how you doing, Paul? Knew my name, knew even the madness that I would be making that there was nothing on his tip. It just blew me away. You cover all of that and so much more. So get yourself ready for a trip through trade at Turnmills to the gallery at Ministry. This is Tall Paul. House Culture. Hi Paul, thanks so much for inviting Pleasure. us over to your place to record the House Culture podcast. Yeah. Uh, much appreciated. Um, right, you've been on the scene as a DJ since the very beginning, still play high energy house music to crowds all over the world. But what we get all of our guests to do is to start at the very beginning. How did you first discover music that you loved? I have been asked this a few times. I think it really stems back to my dad would come home with records. He had a small stint in his life that he had a record shop down in uh, Tottenham Court Road, just off Tottenham Court Road in London. And he had a newsagent opposite as well because my family come from the sort of print industry. So all my uncles and granddad and stuff, they all worked on the sort of Daily Express and Evening Standard and stuff like that. So some of these guys used to progress and actually buy shops, you know, news agents, because they had the connections and stuff. Anyway, so my dad had the, had a news agent and there was a shop across the road from him that I think was a failing music shop and he was a big music lover. And so suddenly from a very young age, I can remember records everywhere, vinyl, and there was a, a front room in our old house when we moved up to Whetstone that my brother and I were not allowed anywhere near. This was sort of locked away <laughs> to keep the kids out of it. And that was where all the records used to sit. And so, you know, I was fascinated by them. The pictures, the words, the stories that they used to create. And I'd, I'd get lost in there and sit in there just listening to the collection that was building up in this front room. And that is probably the, the fire that ignited into in, in, in just learn about them, each one, you know, the story yeah. of each record, each album. They were albums then, yeah. you know. And um, then I used to get, as a kid, Christmas would come and, I, and my uncles and aunties, aunties would buy me little singles, you know, the vinyl and I would have them in a little sort of little collection like a little mini record box and that you know that and it just that was it it was with me and it has been with me ever since yeah and what 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 was the type of music that was in that forbidden room oh i mean everything from the kinks the who rolling stones jeff rotel elo the police and a load of obscure stuff as well that every now and then i come across and folk folky sort of music as well that was in you know, and all this was in the car as well there was tapes yeah. my dad used to make so there was a lot of influence 
you know, my young ears. And, you know, I hear these tunes now, some of the older stuff, and it brings me back to that room. It brings me back to the car. It brings me back to my dad. And that's that's really nice. You know, yeah. that's a great memory jogger. And they do, they all have a little story and a little memory attached to them. And I've still got some of them, yeah, somewhere scattered around the house, some of these albums that I managed to keep. Cool. And uh, So how did, at that point, you obviously had a love for music and discovering stuff and learning about stuff. Was there ever, did you think this, I want to bring this to other people, to an audience? So there was two sort of three major avenues, if you like. So the first one, you know, so now, now I'm in, I'm in, I'm buying records as a hobby. I'm at school, the dinner money, I'm off down to Woolworths. I'm buying singles. I'm taping the radio shows. I'm listening to the charts on the Sunday. So I was building up a little collection of my own. I had the little turntable in the front room when, when we used to sneak in there to play them. And my dad had a pub. So what happened was, so he, he had this news agent. Underneath was a basement. The basement became a, a very small, similar to like a Shoreditch house, like a little club. It was a private members club. And it was all smoky cigars. You could sort of come down and drink during the afternoon where, where you weren't allowed to back then. You had to shut at half two, three o'clock at most of the pubs. And so if you want to carry on your meetings or your boozy lunches, this is where you could go. And it was all it was all private. You know, you had to pay a small membership. And so that done really well for my dad. And then, um, the, you know, the breweries or whatever start offering him things. And short story, uh, we ended up with a pub in Finsbury Park called the George Roby. Big double fronted, really, really beautiful pub. And it had a big side part to it that was just derelict. So my dad got in there and changed it round, cleaned it up and made it a live venue. Big Irish community around there. So it was the Pogues and Christy Moore and the Dubliners and all these sort of bands coming in. And, you know, that, that done really well. He got bought out of that and then started looking around for something similar to these first little private club. So, Turnmills came along, the Turnmill building. What year was that? 80, so I was at school still. Uh, 85, 86, something like that. So, went down there. It was a, a, a lot smaller than it, than what it became, but it was a Art Deco, you know, hit this dream that he had, similar to Cheers. It was a combination of Cheers and... <laughs> Minder, you know, um, the guy that had the, uh, yeah. hello, Arthur, him. He had some obsession with that. He wanted that sort of, it was like that, but just a bit more, you know, in, in the cheers sort of deco. And then that went along for about a year, two years. But what we used to do, we used to do a small little disco on a Friday for just for local people, everyone in Clerkenwell and Holborn. Old Street, we used to come down there and we had a couple of DJs down there and I used to sit and watch and hang out and listen and some of them I used to go record shopping with them. They knew the the guys in the shops and they could get the little white labels. So I was just loving it, you know. But in what happened in parallel, um, some friends of mine that I met out clubbing were doing sort of weddings and parties, you know, for hire. So they had a big record collection and the link... You know, that linked us together. And we sat around one night and said, you know what? Sunrise FM is good fun and Centre Force is rocking away. Why don't we start a radio station, a pirate, which sounded like it's a lot of fun, a lot of risky fun for teenagers. I thought, yeah, let's do this. There was four tower blocks actually in Swiss Cottage. We call them the Weetabix blocks. There was one a couple in Abbey Road as well, Boundary Road. And um, one of the guys had these five FB keys that you could get access to all the gates and places 
places you're not supposed to go. And they had a, like a little CB history, you know, they used to do the CB stuff. So yeah. they knew their way around the cables and the aerials and stuff. So off we went and that was sort of running parallel with the club. And then my dad decided to apply. There's a big story behind this. Anyway, he applied for a 24 hour music and dance license. It was to do with the council trying to up their game. It was due to King's Cross had all these amazing plans developed for it. It was due to the links to Europe on the train and people coming over to London and going, what's going on after two o'clock? We're being kicked out. We can't do anything. So... There was a few councils toying with the idea to, you know, this is why, and this is why all the, the raves are going on outside in, in farmyards and fields and stuff, you know, and ecstasy and everyone was worried, all the parents are freaking out and, and they were trying to get it back into a club environment. Anyway, so we, we took, he took a bit of advantage of that and they, I don't know how, I don't know how, he didn't re- never really told me how he got it, but we got granted it and that was it. It all changed after that. So that was what, around 1987-ish? 87, 88. Yeah. That's when the application went through and, you know, 88, 1988. So how did the music change from those early parties? I was going out on a Saturday with friends to these to these events and trying yeah. to find these parties you know and if we didn't get in anywhere we'd end up in the Camden Palace that was our little local it was a Monday night there everywhere it just went rave crazy because it literally happened overnight with our lunchtime business was where it was busy you know doing the food and everything else there was a sort of mini crash at the end of the 80s towards the end of the 80s and it affected a load of, of the clients that used to come down and you know it was back then you know like loads of money yeah. for Harry Enfield everyone it was like loads of money people yeah. all the city guys all the people in the print everyone just sort of had this abundance of money and they were chucking it around everywhere and then it stopped there was a there was a mini crash um the, the interest rates went up yeah so we became this all-night licensed legal venue in the heart of london it was the only one so my dad got hoodwinked a couple of times for uh, these all-night parties where, you know, we were licensed to say, uh, I don't know, 1,000 and 4,000 would turn up. And it was for a you know, a video shoot You're right. or it was uh, a private party, you know, and it was some one of these guys that got cancelled from one of these, you know, these yeah. warehouse raves, illegal ones. And that caused a lot of bother because we were under review a lot with this license. You know, we had to keep our nodes clean and otherwise they'll take it off us as quick as they granted it. So we were toying around with what to do and, and how to do it. And then we started this thing on a Friday called Space. And it had, I think Steve Lee used to start. Smoking Joe would be down there. Groove Rider would be down there. Um, did Carl Cox play that? It, basically, a lot of my hit, Danny Ramplin, a lot yeah. of these guys are like, what? I was like, Jesus. You know, I, I used to go and see Danny all over the place, Danny Ramplin. And Groove Rider as well, playing at, at Heaven. You know, these are the guys I'm hearing on the radio yeah. and the Pirates and looking at flyers, and now they're playing at the club. So it's like, oh my God, this is amazing, you know. So I'd be doing the Friday night down there, and we just shut at two, and we open at three for the all-nighter. And it came with its new problems, if you like, you know, new issues. Drugs were such a massive you know no no and you you got to try and do as much as you can on the door and, and because we were the f- you know the first to try and write the book on how to do this right and how to make everyone safe in there and everyone's having a good time and you know you're giving people a nice experience so it was you know a lot of learning on our feet but I was just loving it with the music you know I just couldn't get enough it was just ah oh, the timing <laughs> so space went on for a bit and then Lawrence this guy came on board 
I think Lawrence Malice had lots of connections in the, the Soho, you know, circles, the fashion crowd, and wanted to do an all-nighter. I'm missing out some time frames here, but basically trade started either a year or 18 months after we got the license. Yeah. And that was the Saturday all-nighter. That started like 3 a.m. It started at 3, yeah, 3 a.m. and went on till it, it was supposed to shut at 7, then it became 8, then 9... <laughs> then 10 then I got involved yeah. and I started playing I said I started playing 9 to 11 then Tony DeVitt got involved yeah. then I got moved from 11 to 1 11 to half 12 can you believe wow and after that I think my dad said listen we're not going any later this is you know this is mental staff are like zombies <laughs> well we're about to do two shifts you know that just flew that was such a, and the music you know, I was really into that music. So yeah. I was doing the, the pirate stuff, but I was playing a very similar. And I remember going down to trade and thinking, gee, what, wow, we're on the same tip here. This is yeah. crazy. This is a mixed gay night. And I'm playing, you know, the Zero Bs sort of stuff and Glam Hell's Party and all these tracks on the radio. So and it was astounding how the link, you know, how the music had crossed over. But the energy down there, the colours, the the vibe—it was so infectious. The first, the early, the early days of trade were were, were my favourite. You yeah. Know, because you, you you would have you'd have like Malcolm playing and Smoking Joe, and then it would progress and it would get up to Daz Sound, who would just take it on a a wild one, and then Trevor Rockcliffe would come on after and. St- Donk it, you know. And it used to it used to have this amazing progression. Talk about when Age of Love, when Dad's played Age of Love down there for the first time and we had this laser. My dad was obsessed with this laser and just getting it brighter and bigger and bigger and brighter. And, and that day, I remember I drove up to Grantham to get this, this two-meter tube. The tube was as long as me. We had this water-cooled laser and it had its own three-phase supply. You know, I mean, it, it was, I swear, if this thing, you know, exploded, it would have, it would have created like a black hole I think in the universe you know this thing I mean it was, it was so illegal you know you weren't you weren't allowed to it had to be up well above head height two yeah. metres above anyone had been at terminals you know that that just didn't exist yeah <laughs> and to get to get the red and the blue was the most difficult I remember the red was the colour if you yeah. could get a really strong red you know this was 150 grand shit you know this equipment anyway that night he played I and mean, people still remind me of this when they heard Age of Love for the first time when that laser was doing all that I mean Jerry from Who's Tune said that night will stay with us for that you know just to hear that record when that laser and all that smoke and all in that wow. environment that you know wow yes and in trades off, off trade went then we tried different Fridays I tried one Jerry from Who's tried one and it was always in the shadow of the Saturday you know we couldn't really get get out of that everyone just all the cab drivers oh is that gay club no, no it's not a gay club we have, we have one gay night there's six <laughs> other days but um, I think I used to see all the, the nutters going down there and yeah. then uh, our other long one started the gallery in God when was that 94 three was it 94 i'm missing loads out of here matt because it's, it's sort of three phases to to turn meals days you know there was the one where it was just a wine bar yeah then getting this late night thing and then the expansion as well because yeah. you know we couldn't get an, enough people through the door so we were just expanding each unit down terminal street basically towards the station i mean the building itself is huge wasn't it yeah you know, so many i remember going in there and every time i went in there yeah. there's a different bit open well, the reason why it was like that because the sub basement part of, of the club had you know there wasn't really much need for it and people didn't really want offices without windows i tell it was a lot of um photographic studios 
that's what most predominantly most of them units were and during that period of the late 80s early 90s you know they just started to move out they were moving off different places and so we just ended up just swallowing these units up so then we'd knock through that wall and then we'd knock through this wall and then we'd knock through that wall and it was just bigger but it used to create these little sort of corridors and little um little labyrinths and staircases going up and down which was its charm i suppose yeah, yeah. in the way that yeah. it ended up but yeah if you got you had a f- few too many shandies you would you were going to get lost you know <laughs> i remember my friend who to see going across the wall with his hands and you know he'd had a few and um what he got, well, he got, eventually i will find an exit or a doorway but i'm just sort of working my way across you know to try and find whether <laughs> the, the lights had gone or something it was a bit or too much smoke so i suppose you're doing your stuff on a pirate station that you've set up yourself yeah at that point you like I've basically got access to one of the best clubs in London with this license. I've got to get in there or did it come just more yeah, naturally? No. So the pirate station was, was running and that was so much fun. It, it, oh, I can't tell you, it, you know, everyone had a purpose and a job and i met some people what was the station was it touchdown fm was touchdown that? was the was the late late one. but we started with one called clr central london radio yeah out of west hampstead kilburn area and that was the sort of start of it and that was on 105.8 probably we were getting too much heat from the dti shutting down shutting down we changed the name and moved down the fm band to 94.1 with um, Tony J, who I met at the Camden Palace, who was the technician guy, you know, knew, knew his way around, as I said, the, the CB world. And his, his mate Kenny, Kenny K, who was the um, gung-ho, <laughs> hanging off buildings, we can do this, it's yeah. two in the morning, we've got to do it, we've got to change it. And there was his friend Dean as well. You know, just a really good a really good community. And I met some f- great people, and we were, we were never, our paths would never have crossed. You know, a right array of real cool people. And the music was wild we were all there you know and it got to the point touchdown got to the point where there was no more slots available there was nothing 6 a.m 4 a.m 2 a.m gone 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 you know and and it had a good i think had a nine month ten month run without getting shut down which which i don't know what the history books are now but at the time it was one of the longest ones ever yeah because you get calls from the other pirates we were paranoid that you know we were going to get and when something got shut down was it just they'd found the aerial or yeah so if you weren't really on their radar and they would have to come out and do the rounds and your signal wasn't drifting into you know legal stations I think that may have been a reason as well because when we were up up the other end of 105 we would I, I remember there was a problem with a gas board there was a gas board frequency up there an emergency frequency or something and we would drift into it when the unit used to get too hot the signal would start to drift it didn't like it so we, it was always a thing to get this box in a ventilated system somehow fans the little internal fans but they used to make noise so you had to and that, that sometimes that noise would transfer through the, the unit so ideally up in the tower block where the lift is tucked away behind somewhere so it's difficult to get to so yeah they will come along the dti and as long as you they really weren't you really weren't pissing them off they would just cut the cable yeah. and that would be enough just to short the box and the box is dead sometimes they would come up and you know and be a bit more heavy-handed break aerials snap aerials you know they're not going to start climbing up the 
with these scaffold poles, you know, these 15 foot scaffold poles precariously up on the side of a, you know, a lift shaft yeah. on the top of a roof that, you know, you're 40 floor, floors up. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we had a, we had Goldie come on the show with Chemistry and Storm. Wow. Uh, and that's how, that's how, it's how crazy. We, I think it was a Sunday morning at like six because there was no other slots to give. And he came along with the two girls, the DJs, you know, yeah. God rest their souls. Yeah. And uh, he had some music and it was like, holy you know that metalhead stuff you know and it was ahead of the game this shit was fucking you know the production style you know that time stretching all that at the early days when I was like, wow and he 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 got given the you know the main uh, one of the main slots quite quickly because you could just tell he was he was going to be he wasn't going to hang around. Yeah. But he lived in a massive, he lived in one of those tower blocks in Swiss Cottage. And we ended up putting one of the rigs in his, in his flat. <laughs> he lived up there with two great big dogs and, um, and they DTI, the police came around to try and get it one day. And he, he chucked it out the window and it had about, it had about 30, 40 meters of cable on it. <laughs> and he's just lobbed it out the window. And I remember Tony and I driving up there, I think, and we were going, what? And he said, look, we could see this cable and this black box where he's just like, hoid it out the window. And it's kept, it's it stayed on it, and it's swinging down. God, we always used to get that call, you know. Oh, the rig's gone, yeah. or they've cut it. But when we had this massive run, we were just stockpiling all these rigs. So we we were back on. I think we I think we had about five or six ready to go powerful rigs. You know, we could reach Brighton from that tower block in Swiss, in Swiss Cottage. We used to get calls from Brighton, yeah, 150 watt, whatever it was. Wow. But we could never get over Hampstead. That was a problem getting back over the hill. Right. Up to sort of Barnet and North. It was that bloody, yeah, the top of Whitestone Pond around there. Even to the point, Kenny, I remember Kenny's trying to break in and have a look at these masts and these aerials that the DTI, you know, like these are private army shit. And he's trying to break into this facility. See if we can get an aerial off the top of this, you know, like Kenny, like, let's just know. I know how it worked. God, he, yeah, fucking hell, St. Paul's, yeah, that'll do, right, up, we'll, we'll have a go at that, we'll break in there, and yeah, a lot of that stuff, but oh, so, so much fun, so I've sidetracked it, I don't even remember what you asked, so the pirates run in, and then, yeah, so, the th- and the third chapter was the sort of, uh, the regular nights, the trade, and the, and, and the gallery nights, so finally we got a Friday off and running, called the gallery, opening night, I think it was Oak and Fold, and rampling and we've done it around my birthday you know just to try and up the numbers and i think it went on for about six months started all right and then uh i remember my dad saying listen this you know it's going down the hill it's not really happening because we weren't paying the club rent if you like you know we had a bit more leeway to try and make this happen i think we survived you know like, like coming up to christmas is where is your money maker so if you can get through that october november you're through and then all you got to worry about is end of jan february of the next year you know yeah. which i think we survived it and then it, and it just kicked off we wanted two guests every week big name guests looking back what was the music policy of the night we'll start off housey and it could we could have a guest who's going to play house fine we're going to have a guest who's going to play trance we're going to guess who's going to play a bit of techno you know because if you're on for an hour and a half two hours you know people go with it yeah. but then we would make sure the person after or before is either complimenting it or taking it forward you know not playing the same stuff you know four hours of, of anything is, for me it's just it just does my you know it does my head in I, I love when it starts flipping around you know i think that's maybe my style as well how that's sort of come forward i'd play a house track next to a trance track not a problem with me you know as long as the right moment it can come in and the track before has got enough beef in it that it will just come down nicely it's not gonna just drop off the edge of a cliff so yeah so that was the thing for the gallery format and um 
you know, the rest of it's all a bit of a blur, really. It just and my career outside the club started to go as well. God, then we go back now. So it came to Palace. One of the main DJs there, John Saunderson, who was running DMC at the time, who I'd entered some competitions for the scratching and DMC mix championships. I got put forward. Everyone's like, oh, Paul, you've got, you know, you've got to try it because I could do a bit of all the scratching and I was massive into my hip hop as well. So I met John and we used to hang out at the end of, you know, the Camden Palace, listening to him, chatting to him at the end of the night. And oh God, I can't remember how this happened, but I said, listen, I've got an idea for some for, for a tune. And he put me in touch with this guy, he had a small little bed, bed studio, Milton Keynes. And I went down there, spent a couple of days and done my first ever track. I called it Love Rush. And it was by, so my, my name on the radio was Dectician because yeah. everyone had to have a... Can't have your real name. Exactly, you know. I mean, even Tony J, who say Tony Man and Kenny K, you know. Because then you could lose your decks, you know. Yeah, if the DTI really wanted you, if they figured out where your studio was, God forbid, everything was getting confiscated. Decks, oh my God, because the, the, the Technics 1200s then were, you know, the Rolls Royces still are, really. Yeah. And, the, and the records, they would confiscate your records, which, you know, oh... There's no way that they're going in the back of someone else's car without a fight. You know, there's no... So that was a real... Not so much a deterrent, but a, a big concern, you know. So anyway, so I made this record under that name. It was the B-side. I st- When I started playing Trade, I played it at that club, like as a finishing off, or, you know, just to see how it went down. The A-side, not so much, because that was a bit more... Not drum and bass, but a bit more ravey. But the B-side just worked straight away you know I, I just read the crowd it and just it fluked it very possibly but you know I just just knew it would work at um at trade and you know I played that for about five months before Jerry from Who's Tunes come up for the first time I never, never met him before and said what and what is this bloody record you know I'd, I'd done about 500 white labels sold most of them through City Sounds in Holborn and that's how I met Jerry from Hooge who wanted to put it out but Trade wanted it to put it out so Trade had had a label quickly invented and that came out on Trade and then he put me in the studio to do another track for Hooge which I ended up doing Rock the House for, for Jerry but he, didn't, he, he wasn't quite on it he was trying to get me to change it around and I said listen it's really working it's doing it it's doing alright and then Stokesy Darren Stokes he's going mate We'll have it. We're effective will sign that. So anyway, it, it came out on effective. I, you know, we, I, I was doing a load of white labels because that, that was great as well. Making a track, going and finding someone to print up some like, some records and then going out and selling them yourself out of your car, literally walking into records and go, listen, mate, I've got this. What do you think? And then someone going, yeah, it flew out. Give me 20 more. You know, th- it was such a buzz, you yeah. know, and, and it was a big step to take, you know, because, you know, you were walking in off the street a lot of the time. Anyway, the video, so when, we, when they signed it to Virgin, this is a rough idea. We used to go skiing a lot or snowboarding and uh, I don't know if we were DJing out there, what the excuse was to go out there. It wasn't the video. The video came after. It was a listen. I've signed this track. They've stuck a real small budget, but I said to them, "Listen, we're going skiing. We're going to Val d'Isère for a little ski trip, and um, send the guy out there, you know, with the camera." And it was really cool. The budget was terrible. He managed to hire all the skidoos, you know, as, as you see in the video. I said to him, "I remember." He said, well, "How do you want this to look?" I said, "Well." 
I don't know. I said, do you remember the, the monkeys at the beginning of the monkeys? Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. There's a bit where they're all together and it sort of speeds up. And you can see we've done exactly the same bit. We all sort of join hands, like in the um, the Beatles video as well. Yeah. Help. And they all just join hands and they fall backwards into the sand or the snow, in our case. Peasy was in it, Seb, all the boys having a laugh. Yeah, I mean, that came kind of almost in the lead up to that 90s super club era Obviously, Cream, Gatecrasher, God's Kitchen, you were playing at all these places. Mm. How was that era for you? Was it incredibly busy, great fun, don't remember much? I remember there's a, there was a lot going on outside London and Cream was on my radar, you know. And I don't know, I don't know if I got oh, a bit too connected with the trade. Uh, you know, it's a bit too hard, the music. And I think maybe with the record, you know, the rock the house maybe, because I mean, listen to it now, man, it's so fast. The tempo... And loads of stuff is from for like it's I can't crazy. believe how fast I'm some thinking, stuff is. What is what? I think it was just the era. Yeah. You know, everything was just it was giddy up. You know, even looking back at you know Roger, Rogers, Roger Sanchez or Murillo. You know, the, the pace was up there. It was yeah. all one. You know, heading towards the one thirties. I just remember doing remixes. It always used to start one three four. That was it. That's it. <laughs> one three four. That's where we start. You know. Wow. You're going. <laughs> Blimey, really? Because, you know, by, by I think trade had trade really rubbed off me like that because by the time I came on there, you know, it had really started to get going and um, I couldn't really drop the, the tempo I had to keep up. Not so much the vibe, the sounds. You know, uh, uh, that offbeat, you know, if you do that at 135, it, it just sounds so quick, but you can make it sound slower with a, I don't know, a bass line that may go on for the eight bars or 16 bars and it, you know, it changes like that. So yeah, but I look back at some of them, some of the tempo, I think, wow, it was, it was a, a rapid um, era. So anyway, so yeah, London, I was trying to get into the creams and stuff and then, and then it started to happen and then it just went off, you know, Friday I was doing one or two, Saturday I was doing one or two, you know, and it was just nuts. Every town had a club that was doing nights and we were just turning up and they were packed 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 and i was just thinking wow these promoters are amazing you know these 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 clubs are just just everywhere's packed didn't really know that it was down to you know the music the movement and maybe people wanted to come and see the dj or hear the dj and um it was great it was fantastic really 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 great loved it every every minute of it it kept me busy you know still with the gallery going and the yeah. club and everything it was just and then i had to get out of the, the pirate radio got at a couple of really close calls and then i had to knock that on the head for a while and the next minute i was doing a show on kiss i can actually remember tony and i doing the demo when kiss first got their license and they were looking for djs no way. we sat in his house and we'd done this hey you know hi it's paul and tony j and we, you know we'd done this like demo yeah, but it would have been well pro because Tony's got an amazing voice um, for radio. And we sent it off to Kiss, hoping, oh, please, we could get, you know, leave all this illegal nonsense <laughs> behind, you know, hanging out of frigging tower blocks and uh, off to Holloway Road to, to do Kiss FM. Yes, and it just, it just, yeah, it just went wild. And it was all leading up to 2000, it felt, you know, yeah. it was just all that mid 90s to the late 90s, it just albums flying out and records and a fun time. And obviously, you're still out there playing all these gigs what's the kind of major difference between now and then would you say is it more enjoyable now i'm very humbled and very thankful that these things are going on now i never ever thought in a million years i can remember thinking to myself i don't know why this thought stays in me 
38. When I get to 38, who's going to want to see a DJ at 40 years old? I mean, you know, my dad's mate is, you know, and it just never, ever registered that Tongi and Carl Cox and Remplin and these guys are going. And I just think, it's, you know, when, once you have that love and that music, man, and it's in your system, it's in your system and that's it. And people, maybe they, they pick up on that. And at the moment, people are going out again. I don't know where they were 10 years ago or if, or if they just didn't, or they were just getting on with a rat race and all the bloody things that come in your life you know what i can't do though is that the touring again i take my hat off to these guys you know that can do that get on the road and they're off for two three months man and they're just it's in the manager or they've got their friend or they want their own a lot that is a commitment of enormous proportions to do that and you know hat off to the pick you know because i've done it in america a lot i was over in the states a lot while it was still going on you know the agent rang me up and said do you want to go to you know mongolia i go yeah 100 percent because i've never been there and I, and I was all about if I've never been there, it was almost a guaranteed yes. Yeah. So I, you know, I love going to them new places and just seeing some were some were you know awful, but a lot of them were, were amazing. That part of it I miss, but you know that constant being away and the touring, it's hard, man. It really, really, really is hard. And people like, say, oh yeah, it's great when you're there and you're doing what you love to do. That bit's that bit's the easy bit, you know. Yeah. I've got the records, I know what I'm going to play, and but you know, I don't know, man. It, it felt not so much burned out, but just starting to feel am I coming to that sort of you know point I've had it I've had it twice in my life where I thought maybe this is going to be it you know but it's I'm still buying music and I still play shows but it happened at trade once I remember towards the very end and that was when I was doing shows I remember I come down from Liverpool I drove back I didn't drive but Greg drove back from Liverpool and I had a really good time there and it was a three or four hour drive and I had to get myself up and ready for trade you know and walk in there and I was didn't know where I was you know well pissed then I was sober up then I'd you know and it, it was just I thought I'm not going to last this candle is, is being smashed at both ends here and then uh, I remember I was in the States years later just in some hotel room somewhere I was thinking I think, I think they would probably do it with the kids really that was you know just missing you know you just feel like you're alone you just feel like you're the loneliest person on the planet and you yeah. think hang on I'm doing this amazing bloody job here this is what I always wanted to do but there's an element to it. I'm, I'm, you know, for some reason I'm, I was struggling with it at that time. Yeah. So yeah, I take a couple of breaks over over the years. But as far as now, you know, I've learned a lot of lessons and learned it's not all about working every weekend. Yeah. You know, for for anyone and everyone. And there's some great shows. Cream are doing some great ones. Clockwork guys are doing some great ones. There's some other ones popping up. It's great. I love it. It's so cool. And it's great that people want to, you know, come out and make me play and get me out on the road again. Well, I mean, the gallery is still going. Is that one of the longest weeks? Without doubt. Without doubt. In the world. No, there is not, not one on the planet that has been going every Friday, every Friday in London. Friday's a tricky, tricky day to do this stuff, man. It, and there's a lot of clubs out there that would die for a regular um, Friday. It's obviously now at Ministry. Was it hard to say goodbye to Terminals as a venue? How was that? We knew we were going to move because the building had some serious plans for part of that King's Cross development and Farringdon was going to get completely revamped and um, the building had changed hands a couple of times. You know, we nearly bought it bought the basement side of it you know because it wasn't really much use to anyone anyway it was going to get knocked down because the foundations had to be redone and it, blah 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 so we knew we were going to move and then um, my brother got ill my brother got sick leading up to this whole changeover and it, it really all your focus is on this one date and then uh, then you just didn't care about anything except your family's health Yeah, that made it all so 
strange saying goodbye to that place and the memories for some reason the way i feel in my heart i feel it just had to it came to its end you know my dad died 2003 2004 no 2003 that was a big a big part of it left with him you know that 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 was that was a tough time and then danny was basically running the show there anyway and he really had to step up and you know he was a very young man to do that it's a tough game the club game you know it's it's very unsociable it's can be very unhealthy you've be have your wits about you 24 7 be very disciplined in yourself you know and it's not for everyone it's, it does take a very tight certain type of person to to be in that game it sucks a lot of life out of you as well and i never you know when, when my dad passed i thought if i have to be there i, I will be there you know if i have to be, come down on it but I, I really didn't want to do it i really didn't like the day-to-day of it and plus i was traveling like a lunatic you know i was in there i was here there and everywhere doing my djing so danny yeah, took the reins and then he really up up the game the gallery really Really marched on then. It wasn't one of been going that long. Every Friday, I've literally think we've missed three or four Fridays, and that's because of like New Year's Eves or yeah. or some royal <laughs> death or something. You know, literally, it's, yeah, it's like incredible. that. Yeah. yeah, I'm telling you, it, yeah. it's it's been going every Friday. Sometimes you know it'd be through thick and thin. No, that that team and it's changed its face a load of time, but. You know, Gavin and my brother and some of the old school still coming up ways, pushing it forward, keeping people interested and keep them coming. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Back. I mean, so many venues in and around London have closed down over the years. Obviously, Ministry remains fabric. There was a whole thing to save it which yeah. was successful how important and you've mentioned like back in the 90s there used to be a club in every town around the UK how important do you think these places are or do you think just tastes have changed in that it's more kind of festivals and one off things yeah now? you know they're, 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 you see you see taste and trends you know they, they come and go and they're in, in, their, in, in that 90s era there was the super club you know the 2000 3000 venue now you've got places like Printworks. these places are amazing just untouchable. I played. I played that Printworks for the first time. I'm thinking. I, I don't think I've ever been in a, a visually a club when it is going off in there. Yeah. 
I mean, and the lighting guy gets it right to the right tune. It's just like, like this is this is in the top ten here, and I've been to some clubs. But in between that, you know, there was a huge lull. A huge clubs were, were going by the wayside. You know, there wasn't appetite for it. The music wasn't turning people on. It was getting a bit stale. The DJ didn't really, you know, all, all the reasons combined. But it comes back in its own little format, and it's a shame to see some of them go, even terminals. But you know, it progresses in in a sort of demand. It's the people that create that demand and you've got to try and tap into it in yeah. the best way you can and give them basically what they're after and then you add a bit on to say listen this is what is coming and what you should be doing but this is what you want and this is hopefully where you want to go and you combine the two and you get a nice long run at it i mean you mentioned how you've had these moments these kind of peaks and troughs in your in your love for the music and obviously now it's on you know you're still playing all these great gigs that, that like you say mentioned print works magazine these great venues do you think the scene's kind of going through a bit of revitalization and there's a new crowd coming through i don't know if if a certain genre has to be forgotten about for a certain, a certain time before it can be looked back upon that's what it feels like it feels like that that sort of 90s 2000s i mean some of the music that came out there i don't care what anyone said it, it really was groundbreaking some of these records and i and, you, and we just didn't know at the time it's just playing that stuff oh, that's, that's a really good that's a massive one not knowing that it'll be around 25 years later and still smashing it i got sent a video again i get sent videos every week of people playing camisa let me show you <laughs> at elro and these festivals in south america and, and they, i get tagged in it you know they're obviously playing it a lot slower <laughs> <laughs> As we said, you know, which which gives it its own little twist. But see, you know, seeing these crowds go nuts to it, you know, amazing. It, even now, though, classics is is all right. I will, you know, don't worry. I will drop what needs to be dropped at, uh, for the right crowd. But I, my, the main part of me, I still want to push this forward here. I know what you want, and I, and don't worry. You know, all promoters say, oh, Paul, I said, don't, stop, don't worry. I know exactly what to do. And I will try and push it forward. You know, just pl- play that new record because this, this you need to hear. You loved that stuff back then and you were looking for it and you were buying it and you were buying the CDs because you were into it. Don't shut off too much. Have yeah. a listen to this because yeah. this is as good as that it, and it will be 25 years later and it will still be around, you know. It's like people will come to see you because they knew what to expect. Yeah. I don't Whereas, want to, uh, I you don't want to just turn up and be like, oh, you're just going to play all the stuff that you played no 25 way, years ago. No way. And, 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 and the funny thing, think what's what's come off the back of that is so if i'm if i'm doing a show um let's say that print works one for instance last year okay it's going to be a certain sort of crowd i'm playing towards the end they're gonna they're gonna hear a lot of music a lot of classics have already been fed to them initially because that's what gets them all going so i've got to get the the balance right so i've been making a lot of more music in the studio um just ideas revamps just trying to keep um, um, the modern sound beef up some of the sound as well but just with that with that nod to that era that they're going to know that one they go ah ah oh, yeah 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 I'm you know but that crew I don't know nothing about they weren't even born then yeah. they're still going to get it you yeah. know that's worked really well for me I, I almost I caught me on the blind side you know I've done something uh, killer I had this killer reboot that I'd done and that came out on Capitol Records you know during the summer and we got Seal to re-sing it and, and all this cool stuff I was like, oh, you know it was amazing and that's just bounced on and, and so I'm in the studio doing new stuff and there's a little element that I'm, I'm always you know pulling that influence from that and even back to when I, you know my, my dad's music you know there are all these great little hooks and lines and, and things that make you your hair stand on end you can try and bring into an, a new production so that's something I'm really enjoying as well you know because when the club went the studio went everything sort of you know closed that chapter and all the plans that we had to move on 
just took another sharp right turn you know went down a, a road that just never expected to to go down there yeah as life is when we first got the Technics, I remember I was onto my dad all the time. He'd have these Citronic belt-driven decks, and they would snap, or they would come off the, you know, they would come off the rails, yeah. and the thing would would go a million miles an hour. It would just stop, and you'd be in the middle of all the like the weddings I used to do, and some of the private parties I used to do down there. You know, my dad was like, "Oh yeah, do you want a DJ this weekend?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, right, you know, be down there for two. I mean, two went in the afternoon. I said, "Hang on." I've only just got back from the club. I've been cleaning up and restocking the bar all morning. Yeah, we got this wedding. I'm like, oh no, not the bloody wedding, please. What What's happened to the other guy, Paul, the other DJ? Oh, he can't do it, you know. I'd be like, so all the cool stuff, never, ever going to play uh, to get the other two great big milk tray, you know, the trays of records. Yeah. The wedding set, you know, that usually followed the same format, but you'd always get Oh, have you got this one, mate? You know, and you think, well, that's a bit off track, you know, for a wedding. Yeah. And they'd be on at you all night, and they, oh, it's the bride's mate, and can she come? She wants this record, and yeah, that was an experience. But I, I, there's probably a lot, of, lot of, lot of DJs out there of, of that era have done, have been there and done it. You know, paying their dues properly, paying your dues, man. <laughs> That is that is that is paying your dues, yeah. But I think that gives you a good sense of reading a crowd. Though, oh, I think big definitely. time, big time. Yeah, you've got you've got a you know you got a switch, in, yeah. Because if the, he wants one tune and the rest of the crowd's not going to like it, and you've got to let him. Funny enough, right? We've just done a script for a film. This probably hopefully will happen in twenty twenty, with a guy called Ray Burdis, who's um, he done produced the original Craze with the Kemp brothers. It's a small sort of team and, and, and it's financed locally, if you like. And um, anyway, so we, we've done this script and I was telling Ray about this story about this one particular wedding that I'd done and he found it hilarious. So it's it's almost the opener of this film. If it ever comes out, who knows, but the script is done and um, it was one of them ones that just went, you know, badly, badly wrong. And, and of course, I was chucked in the, into the middle of it all. The DJ cops the initial stick and aggro if um, if a record goes down. Yeah. They don't they don't look at the the fuse board or the electrician or someone that's chucked a drink over the mixer. You know, it's oi, what what have you done? <laughs> like, I don't usually stop records in the middle of 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 their of, of their time. You know, one day I don't know this apparently you'd be listening to this podcast and go oh yeah he's talking about it if it ever sees the light of day i really hope it does financing a film is, is tricky you yeah. know there's a lot bloody a lot of hurdles and you have to give your life away but um it, this film is um it's about the terminals the three three boys ha- and how the switch happened you know how, how the club just became this own sort of entity and this huge ball that just kept on rolling and and you it was unstoppable and uh who knows who knows but that that, that i've done last year that that was great oh, that'd be incredible on. yeah that, that was that was a lot of fun um it's just been a bit a bit frustrating trying to get things moving because he's busy doing the stuff and but very kindly you know we shared a lot of time together ray and i and you know wrote the scripts you know literally yeah. it's done no way. the first scene is this is this wedding that a lot of djs can relate to yeah yeah it's like kind of thinking of tracks and stuff. We have talked about what we always do. Like we get our guests to pick five tunes for a playlist that goes on Spotify. Yeah. The House Culture Perfect playlist. And it's always five themes 
We all just want to try and get a sense of what some of these tracks mean to you in terms of first memories, why have you chosen them, etc. So yeah. something, what's kind of a catalyst that first got you into house music, dance music? He's chosen Rhythm is Rhythm, the dance. I can remember my f- my best mate at school, his brother, his older brother, coming back from Ibiza with a tape. And it was this early, early house stuff. Now, I was the kid at school that had the headphones in day in, day out. I had all the, the the Walkmans, you name it. You know, that was my... And just, I'd be taping shows. And I remember listening to this. Oh, you know, listen, it's like... I, you know, never heard this before. This was a... But that Rhythm is Rhythm is one of definitely the early vinyl purchases that I have. And it looked like a... It just, it's just such a raw pressing... It's like a little, it's like a, a drawing. It's a very simple track, just ticks away. It almost early version, like a trancey track. It has yeah. that sort of, yeah. it just keeps on going and you get into it and there's some change in the percussion and the drums and then a, a, a big pad, the string comes in and it takes it to another level with the chords and a melody. And um, yeah, that, that, has a, that has a place. You yeah. know, I still like, if I, I still like to hear that. In fact, that first record I ever done that I was telling you about, the Dectician one, there was a little, I sampled, oh, that was one of the ones I sampled, the, um, but I bump, 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 and I bump, up just a, a little part of that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> they were just all bloody samples, all chucked together, as most yeah. of my bloody stuff is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that that's probably one of the, if I, my 50 records, my first purchases, yeah. if all that to put them, I think that that would be a prized a prized possession. I think yeah. it's quite rare as well. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Transmit, I think it was on. Yeah. Derek, Derek May, yeah. And if it was one of those first ones that you bought, you probably know it back to front, heard it a million times in your headphones. Yeah. What 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 tracks were you mixing in with that? I mean, Voodoo Ray. God, I searched high and low for that thing, man. Trying to find that, that tune. I mean, how did you kind of know what these things were called? Were you hearing them on Pirates and then they were telling you or in they, the clubs? You know, yeah. I'd hear it out in a rave. Yeah. And then the whole focus would be, what is that? The days of when you were looking over the deck, going like this, <laughs> going round and trying to read it. It's It's got a C in it. <laughs> There's an O in it somewhere. There's a phone number in there. You know, and so I remember some DJs as well, as well at trade, and you know who you are. They'd be putting white. They'd be they'd be covering out. That's just mean. That's just mean. <laughs> because there'd be a certain there'd be a certain mob there, and that that was that was me definitely. You know, we'll be looking over. Hey, doing you know, doing the old mirrored glasses and looking and saying, "What is this?" You know, because I, I was a spotter. You know, Jesus, if there hadn't been music, I'd be looking out for trains and airplanes probably. Uh, you know, I don't care what happens next week. I am going to find this track. I, you know, I have to find this. It, it's an obsession. It's yeah. probably quite a dangerous one, but I, I am going to go to every record shop and sing it to them, <laughs> tell them what I think it's called, you know, play them off the Walkman, off the radio. But you see, a lot of this stuff, some of the pirates would be doing it, but back then the pirates, they were on and they were off and they weren't yeah. on and they were off and they were shut down and they were turning up and continuity was a thing to have. So I would be searching, you know, I would do the rounds, go down to Soho, Bluebird, City Sounds, Groove, Tracks, a bit later on the plastic fantastic you know just and then you get to a point in your career where they're giving it to you <laughs> i remember saying in city sounds going have you got that track no and then someone will come in and they got slipped the track like, you 
I'm fucking going to be here one day. I'm going to be the, I'm going to have my own bloody pile, my own box, you know. And then it, then it happened. Yeah, I was like, yeah, come on. I got my own little, my little shelf under the counter. And even some of them white labels now, they're precious because they, you know, they have that, they're rare. They're, they're yeah. rare. And even the acetates, some of the acetates I've got given, you know, they're just one off rares, 500 or 1,000 or, or whatever if they survived. And um, there's something about a white label just had this, had this extra, you know, something about it and you've got one and I'm going to play this tonight and no one's going to have this. Yeah. This is, this is going to, and this is the one, you know. And I suppose a bit of ego comes into it, you know, I'm going to play this first. Everyone loves to play it first. Yeah. Get my own little pile at the record shop. So that was it. I knew I'd, You've made it. it. <laughs> yes. Talking about floor fillers, we always ask for a go-to floor filler. You said numerous mixes of Faceless Insomnia. Oh, yeah. Always does the business still. You know, well, Sister Bliss, um, we used to hang out at a trade together. She used to come down there. She was a big fan of it. She was friends, I think, Felix, you know, Don't You Want Me? And Lottie as well, who's our gallery resident. And all the, all the huge crowd and London Records, you know, all the A&R. It was a little a little family down there. And um, I think Ayala, Sister Bliss, she could play the piano, if I can remember. You know, she, she was trained up to a point. Yeah. And then Rollo was in doing stuff for Hooge as well. And then I'm going to jump time here, but... They, they, you know, they, they came together and, and started to make some music. He had that sound, you know. He, he, he had a very specific drums are great. He was working with a guy called Rob as well. So they teamed up, and you know, Faithless was born. And oh, it was just chuffed to see, you know. And, and Arla was still DJing Sister Bliss, so she was our resident at the gallery for years. And then the Faithless thing really globally went, and off she went on a, an amazing journey. So yeah, that that track, I've seen it work i've played it there's other mixes and and it's just it, it has crossed over it's crossed the boundaries it's crossed the age group it, you know the generations it's a huge riff it's a huge moment yeah, yeah. and as long as it you know it comes in after in the right way it's um it's great because it, it means just it means more than just a track it's, it's nice to see someone that you know and grew up with who loves the music as much to to really stamp history yeah and there wasn't many bands that managed to break out of that dance music I remember the first time when Kamisra got on top of the pops I got a call it's gone to number five right and you're on top of the pops and I had to do this version this bloody vocal version just to appease the radio people you know and it, I really against my wishes i really tried to push back on it but you know labels and oh you can't get this radio and it's going to affect you know bullshit and then capella remember capella yeah, yeah. that was called it had that susie and the banshees riff dun, 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 yes dun, yeah you got that, to know <laughs> yeah yeah you got to know how yeah. to make me feel <laughs> so that was on i think a week before and yeah. it was so atrocious the live singing or the or, or, or something and the guy went that's it. No freaking more dance. I don't care what number. I don't care. It was a fucking number one. We're not doing it. It was shit, you know. And uh, so, yeah, we were number five and we got kicked out for, oh, no for the beautiful South. Brandon got on it, I think, later on or before. And yeah, a few you of the did talk about K-class that. K-Class were on it. I think Dave Durrell was on it. Dave Durrell was pump up the volume. Yeah. I was thinking, oh, you know, God, looking back, I think, God, top of the pops. That was the that was another little tick, a box you had to get. But no, not, <laughs> I don't know. I think, what did you get on there? Or did they refuse I to do I think they it? refused, yeah. So anyway, the point being, 
you know, you try to create a band because they were all one-off singles with yeah. one-off names and one-off samples. And if you could create a band to, to move forward with, it could, this could go. So, you know, the Prodigy was sort of leading the way and they, they kept it. And then the Chemicals, which were the Dust Brothers, I think, initially. Yeah. But a lot of people were trying it, you know, including me, to try and figure out a way of getting the front person because it was just hiring a, a diva that could just belt the vocal because they're yeah. all samples you know and um so anyway point being faithless it, it caught and it went and it and it went and it, and it went outside the uk which was great that record i don't know if it would ever not work it would just be remixed accordingly for the time yeah that's done it's history it, it, it's in there it's blue suede shoes by elvis or yeah, you know huge. yesterday by the beatles it, for that for dance that it's in there and it's not the only it's not a one-off for them either is no. it it's you know they've done so many absolutely yeah. monstrous riffs and tracks yeah no i've seen i've seen them live as well we're lucky enough to i've been playing on the same just see you know it just i actually thought though you know because the front man it shouldn't work in a way well it it, it goes off so big. Yeah. The moment is so massive. You know, if you if you were a band playing that in that track, you'd be thinking, Jesus, what, you know, because it just goes, the energy, the electricity that comes from that moment, it's enormous. And yeah. I don't know what that must be like going on tour and doing that every night and seeing that over and over. Does it just get, must get a bit blurred because you know what's coming. I don't know if, if the moments, you know, oh, here we go, I'm going to have to play that again. You know, I, I, I don't know what not, it's like. Because yeah. I've I played Camisa, played, and I think, oh, I know, I even played Camisa last week, and it went off, you know. And I'm, I just, I'm like, almost like this. Oh, my God, you know. Go on, play it again, <laughs> but, then, but then, I don't know, after all, you think, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not going to get my own ass about this, you know. It, yeah. People freaking, they enjoy it and it, it sends them frigging nuts and it's a new crowd and it's a new generation and they want to, then, you know, f- fuck it. Yeah, why not? And to be honest, that record, I hate to say it, but it was, it was made in such a rush. It was made in such a hobbity-hope. I listened to it back and I, you know, I cringe, I cringe at it. It never, ever meant to come out, ever, 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 ever. And that's yeah. how a lot of these things happen. I spend days banging my head against the wall trying to get the right riff and the right thing and create a masterpiece. And it's something I've slapped together just for the weekend because I know it's going to... Uh, that's the one. That's the yeah. one they want to sign. That's the one they want to run with, you know. It's always the way. Always, man. You never know. You you sort of know, but you never, ever, ever know. Yeah. Did, did Faithless, when she's in that studio with Rollo making that track, and he's going, I can't get no sleep, tearing off tats with my teeth over the heath. You can be a producer going, oh, I'm not sure about them lyrics, love. Um, what, Hampstead Heath? You mean, you, you know, I've done a couple of tracks over the years and, and people have told me, no, nah, that's shit. It's not going to work. That's not great. And I listen to these people and then a couple of times I've gone, no, you know what? You're wrong here. I, I'm telling you now, this works because I know it works because I'm lucky enough to play it every week. So a lot of the time, it's good to listen and listen to the right ears. But if your gut is telling you something, you know, I, I, this is good. Get it out. Get it out. So maybe you can't get it out and get, get it out yourself. Create it. Just do it. Precious Heart was that. That one no one no one fancied it everyone no no way not going to clear it not 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 a big record not going down and then cut two months later tell me oh this is going to go number one it's the most re- you know most played record on radio one i was like right let's spend a load of money on the video <laughs> how was it clearing that in excess surprisingly sample? surprisingly easy really yeah his father michael Ashton's father ran the estate and somehow had the uh had the last 
gave the okay for that sample. You know, we were trying to get it re-sung maybe, and it was a bit of a hot topic, obviously, because the situation with him passing away. But that was made for an Australia tour. I was doing this massive show in, in Sydney. I thought, I'm gonna play, I'm gonna I'm gonna play something that is such a great moment in a record and 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 it's just gonna be played out again. I never th- even thought it would potentially come out, and and um, one of the guys from the band was in the show. Got chatting to him and they said sort of we're we're reforming the band. We've got this other singer who's gonna come along and, and we're gonna finish off what was left off. And they came to London and they started their London show with the record. No way. Yeah. Wow. With Precious Art. Like, my God. Met, met all the band and stuff and it was really cool. And yeah, that was, that was really, really lovely. That was that yeah. was fantastic. It's the biggest seal of approval, I suppose. Yeah, I think the timing, I think they fancy getting on the road again yeah. and, and they had loads of material that needed to uh, to be got out there. They're just trying to find that singer and a front yeah. man, which is irreplaceable. Uh, and then maybe, you know, as they're about to start off, then I come out with that thing and uh, I think they use it as a bit of a bounce off and I know we're quite in- intrigued about how that that track was you know being played in dance floors yeah, which is yeah. the craziest thing you know yeah. it's a it's a bloody it's a slowy yeah and speaking of slowies uh we've got sunsetter chosen pavarotti ness and dorma <laughs> i can't think i was thinking when i emailed you i thought oh you know i've heard so many i've seen so many sunsets over there in ibiza and and they're all special but hearing a certain track does elevate it to something else and I, I don't know if it was Jason By maybe Bysey might have played it and the timing of it was what done me and that song you know that if you if you hear that God I mean I never heard it live unfortunately but that is one of those songs that would just get into I, I, I it would I'd go I'd go because that is the chords the melody the step the singer the power. the power and he timed it I mean I'd love to I must ask him about you know <laughs> and he just crescendoed and it finished and it wasn't intense it just and the sun and the sun set down and it was just fucking wow amazing yeah we've had some real left field choices for sunsetters yeah I heard one a couple of years ago a version of Shout by Tears for Fears yeah dun, 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 the piano at the yeah. beginning and it's a really nice mellow version and and I, I remember going up to him and going listen where you know yeah. <laughs> the spotter came out out came the paper and pen <laughs> where have you get this from and here's my email address <laughs> and I would love to um, you know to get that so I've got that in the collection and put it on one of my um, off the record I do these I do these sort of little free albums every year like chill out albums yeah. and that, that went on the second one I think but yeah the edit and the sunset and the right people and that tune that was that was wicked that was amazing you know the big string intro and then he comes on and then, and then you just hear it and it's like, oh here we go because you know, you know what's coming. Yeah. You know where it's going to go, and it's going to. It builds, and then it drops down into that lovely little that part and that melody, and then it just timed it to absolute perfection. It was quality. Yeah, I think they might. I don't know how they do it. They must count back. They must. They know. must know I think somehow. Because they're doing it all the time. Yeah. They know when the sun touches that sea yeah. in July, in June, in yeah. August. I've got five minutes, I've got four minutes, I've got eight minutes, and I'm going to edit this to perfection. And it was to, it was to perfection, as it... Uh, I think it was like a live version, because you start hearing the crowd coming up, and then the crowd starts to clap, you know, the Mambo's yeah. thing. Just like, mate, that, you know... Yeah, yeah, I love you know beef for sunsets. You cannot beat it. You get you know with the right crowd and the clapping. That's such a great a great way to send it off. That's the daytime. See you later. See you tomorrow. Clap it off and then right. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. Then the vibe changes and you're like, yeah. okay, 
Let's go. Make that a large, please, mate. A large vodka. No, no, no singles. No half shandies. Yeah, it's time to step it up. So we always ask for a tearjerker as well. Chasing a whistle song by Frankie Knuckles. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful song, man. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? I couldn't think. There's loads more in there. Like soul touches. Uh, but that one sprung to mind as soon as I saw that question. Yeah, no vocals. Just a nice, lovely melody. Catchy little hooks. Sabres of Paradise as well is another one. That smoke Belch. Smoke Belch. That just came out of my head just out of the blue there. Yeah. I don't know I know why. That That is a tune. Yeah. That is something, you know, and, and withal to, to, to have the bollocks just to go, I'm going to make something here that is on the verge of, if not of a modern day Mozart type thing, yeah. you know, with electronic equipment that is a tune but yeah whistle song i i and you know what? <laughs> it's very it's very similar to smoke belch almost yeah, yeah. It's, it's just got some little beats you know some nice nice little rhythms behind the um frankie knuckles one but i i've always if, I, if i'm watching a film or program and i, and I usually at the end and I, and I think i would put this tune there you know because and, and that 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 one's come up a lot the whistle song i just think that'd be such a great ending to a quite a, a meaningful part to, to a film you know hopefully I'll get, if I get this film off the ground that, that track is go. in there that track is definitely in there remember it being the, the end credits is, yeah. is where I see that yeah. just people walk out hopefully this is what I envisage the dream is you, you end on the high the happy ending you know yeah. but with a bit of a some, some things still to be tied up but you know you're not sure how it's going to end with that song coming on dun, 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 dun. and maybe a still and the credits start rolling up and, and, that, and that tune playing people walking out listening to that yeah and it's daylight outside yeah <laughs> <Just> smiling <laughs> I love everyone's it everyone's off their rocker <laughs> so that's another tune that you'd love to hear it a bit more but it just you think oh it has to be either early in the set or, or yeah it's quite would. light it's it? very light yeah it's it's you know, it's almost you know like a like a chill out set, but it's not because you know it runs at that I don't know one twenty one twenty tempo whatever it is, and you know and it's it's a nice nod to an amazing man. Yeah. But I remember meeting him for the first time. Frankie, I am in complete awe. I'm ready to get on my bloody knees here, you know, because buying them records, yeah. what we were talking about earlier. And he was like, how you doing, Paul? You know, knew my name, knew even the madness that I was been making, that it was nothing on his tip. Uh, it just blew me away that, I don't know, you sort of think, oh, he's only going to be interested in that type of music. And yeah. and maybe the UK was a huge event when I used to see him come over, you know, and, and we used to come over and, pack out places for him and, and love it and love his music. I, you know, I could go and listen to him one weekend and go and listen to a hardcore DJ the next and then go, and, you know, that was that was me and, and my friends, you know, we were not, it's going to be that and it's going to be that all the way. It's, you know, and um, he's a lovely, lovely guy yeah. and, knew, and knew my shit, knew my, what I was all about, you know, which, you know, yeah. oh God, I've just, that's it, I've just made my, you know, made my week, my month, my year. So yeah, that, when I read that question, for some reason that, that tune just flew in there, yeah. Um, and a last tune. Mm. We've already we've already covered this one though. The uh... play the game, Paul. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> Let me show you by Camisa. You know, I, people get the arse if I, if I don't play it. So I'm like, what the fuck? I've come all the way down from Scotland, Liverpool. You know, it's that love hate relationship that I've had with it. So I get sent the videos. I get tagged into all these clubs that are still playing it. Big events, you know, a lot of people, thousands and thousands of people at some place and some. The DJs, I don't, I, don't know, I don't even know who they are. I went out to see It's Everything in Ibiza at Elbow. Went out there for, an, for a day out. I didn't ask him. I didn't even know. I didn't expect, you know. We were just in there rocking and I heard the, <laughs> that thing. I, oh, no, surely not. Yeah, bang, videoed it. You know, Destroyer. 
it's that baseline. It's not, you know, it's deep dish. Yeah. It's 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 theirs. It's that's, you know. But it's just toughened up, isn't it? It's all it is. And there's so many records. There were records out there because this is where the tempo thing comes in. If I was playing an Uppy Ronson, for instance, or, or an early Cream, so it was housey, a lot more housey. But you couldn't get it banging, you know, like a towards the end of the night of a gallery or, or a trade. I couldn't slow it down enough on the deck. And it would sound odd if I did yeah. sometimes. And that Sandy B was one of them. It was a great... Woo! tune when that bass line came in the reaction was you know and there was a few like that housey records that well i want to play that here but that's not going to work because they're not really the vocals too long it's too much it takes too long to get to so i was doing a radio one central selection at amnesia with rampling and pete tong and that were the days of between them two they had everything pete would have every new tune under the sun coming out because he has to get it first otherwise he's not going to play it danny was doing the love groove party on saturday nights at radio one Radio 1 was the powerhouse then. It was the dance show worldwide, you know? Is that what am I going to... How am I going to do... How am I going to have something different to, to play... You know, the last thing I'm going to do is start crossing over. You know, Pete's yeah. going to have a couple of tasty ones up front. Same with Danny. That was how that was born. Just knocked together at the end of a session. I think, if I remember rightly, I had remixed Beach Ball, Nathan and Kane for London, and we finished quite early and that's how that record came about you know we had a couple of hours and i knew this gig was looming and so right i'm just gonna go for it i'm gonna take that bass line i had all these samples and bits of stuff i was listening to that i picked up from the states just bish bash bosh check this out pete watch <laughs> and, and and you know so you played it and because of the powerhouse that radio one was and pete and danny there's a lot of A&R guys there a lot yeah. hanging around making sure play this play that you know get the report out on the Monday and um, everyone was just went nuts what you know, what what was that version uh, you played of that and it, it just instantly went absolutely nuts oh god and then that turned into a saga as well god if you had another hour I'd tell you about it <laughs> getting that getting that record out and then Tony DeVitt was trying to do they got him to do a remix of the original and champion records uh, you know didn't didn't like it obviously and then it escalated to the point that tony got barred from terminals lawrence said he was never going to do trade there ever again what? my dad locked the club walked off with about 600 people outside in the queue all because of that record it's weird you know the journey starts so good and then all the bullshit comes with it and then there was a lot of nonsense that came with that it all got sorted out and everyone got rectified but me and tony thought oh, i fell out for a bit and then my dad and Lawrence went freaked out because of Tony was the DJ the resident yeah, and it yeah. looked like he was being used as a pawn to try and stitch the record up you know and it was just a god it was a hassle man it was just horrible musicologists were on my case about this sample and that and I remember Larry 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 Lush who I haven't mentioned once it's terrible really but he was my the guy that ran the studio was my director of music you know everything went through him and his fingertips great guy very inspirational very open-minded would try anything <laughs> I mean anything <laughs> And um, so they were saying, it's a sample. I said, it's not a sample. He said, I can tell it. So I said, it's not. So after all that, you know, oh, I sampled my record. I, I deep, deep just, you got a cut of it. They own rights of that record because I had, to, I couldn't find the note, the, uh, 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 the two notes. And uh, we were going back and forth and trying to find it. And I had the keyboard sitting in the studio that it came from. And, I, 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 and, and we just didn't know. We were trying to make it. You were trying to make the sound with the resonance. And, the, and it's a keyboard called the Juno 106, which we had. We had two 
two of them. And uh, it was on a, one of the presets on bank B, 46, I think it was. And so I got Larry. Larry played the Steptoe theme tune. So when we, when we handed over... <laughs> The, mu the musicologist to prove that we had he's got he's got this I've got it somewhere the Steptoe and Son theme tune being played in that do 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 just going do 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 to prove it is not the sample we've got the sound we've we got it from the the guys that made yeah I mean one of Deep Dish was really freaking out about it I can understand it you know it was a, it's a it's a it's a big ass sample of it but I never denied that you know and hopefully Sandy B gets most of the credit for it well I kind of wrap this up then our final question is mm. always we are obviously house culture you've yeah. been part of this culture since the very beginning what does it all kind of what does it mean to you it was just it was a happening a movement a trend a bit of youth culture that i was so lucky i just i thought i thought i'd missed it because there's a little age group a couple of years above me that talk about the you know the the first yeah. the real acid house days and i was you know, I was I was I was I was young, very young when it was coming in, but I was I was really I always thought I was playing catch up with it. But to be sitting here talking to you about music and that is still going, is still putting people on a dance floor and sharing experiences through through the music, I just feel very, 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 very lucky. And sometimes I forget that, and I like to you know pinch myself and kick myself not to forget that. It's been part of my life since I can remember music and then to be into the entertainment side of it through my dad the stages and the chapters and still be involved yeah it's it's a dream I've learned a lot experienced a lot I just feel really lucky to be doing it still and enjoying doing it I don't know such, yeah, it's a good question really I, I, you know, house music man is still happening and to me it's all house yeah you call it trance it, the vibe of it is house music and, it, and, I, and I still feel a bit a part of it and it's still it's still my little my little thing you know it'd definitely be a reference to something housey on my gravestone something about house music you know a little smiley face on there or something you know yeah it's great and lucky lucky to be part of it still house music baby that's the perfect summation i think it's a brilliant place to end thank you so much um, been awesome yeah hopefully there's enough in there to uh, house culture weren't we lucky to hear all of that house music baby indeed what a guy paul is Yes, he is very tall and also very gracious to allow us to come over to his house and host us for an afternoon of recording and reminiscing. Wasn't it exciting to hear about the potential film based on turn mills in the works? Fingers crossed we get to see it happen and that the whistle song is on the end credits. Honestly, between that one and the film of Tony Pike's biography we chatted about with Dawn Hindle, we could be in for a thrilling period of seeing Clubland on screen. If you want to hear more of what Paul is up to during this lockdown period, make sure you go to his Facebook page where he's been hosting some incredible mix parties that have travelled through his extensive record collection. For our own soundtrack, you can hear all of the tunes that we discussed on our playlist on Spotify. Get started by searching for House Culture Perfect Playlist. And within that, you'll find not only the choices from Tall Paul, but from every other guest we've had on both seasons of the podcast so far. There's all kinds of stuff in there covering every facet of house music culture. So give it a shuffle and turn it up loud. 
Once you're listening to that, please help support this podcast by loving, liking, tweeting, sharing and rating or reviewing us on Apple. This last bit is really important. It actually does make a difference. So say something nice and we'll give you a shout out. This time around, the shout out goes to WC Slingsby, who reviewed us on Apple saying that we have some great interviews with house music royalty. You got that right. Just wait until you hear who else we've rolled out the red carpet for. And if you don't want to miss any of those announcements, hit up our Instagram feed at housecultureNet or follow the hashtag TrueHouseCulture. Not only will you be fully informed about the podcast, you'll also get connected with other house music lovers the world over. And finally, you can get in touch with me, Matt Rouse, directly on Instagram at DJ Matt Rouse. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and see you next time. House Culture. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow-up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Undaria Algae Body Oil and Undaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.